Section 6 of Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 24, April 13, 1880. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Paul Bryan Stewart. Harper's Young People, Volume 1, Issue 24, April 13, 1880. Two Ancient Families, a paper read before the little literati by mother. I fear I appear before you, but illly prepared for the evening duties. As mother-like, my week has been full of cares, unusually so. Being left to choose my own subject, I thought to speak briefly of a worthy but almost extinct family, or indeed I should say two families. Many grown persons persist in declaring that the families have passed entirely out of existence, but I find there are a few of them to be found still on the rugged mountainsides, on the plains, and down in the deep green valleys. Little children know them best, as they seem to be modest, retiring families, seldom or never intruding themselves on the notice of others. I conjecture, from the freedom with which little children use their names, that they must be a kindly, simple people. My little Mary, or Minnie, tells me almost every day of little Johnny He, or little Sally She, and in my mind's eye I see little Johnny He coming through his father's gate on his way to school, a plump, rosy-cheeked little fellow in white pants and blouse. Most amiable and fair he looks, that little Johnny He, while following close behind his heels is little Sally She, with flaxen curls and laughing eyes, this little girl we greet. Exclaim, how fair is Johnny he, and Sally she, how sweet. Very little is known of the ancestors of these simple people who dwell among the hills. It is believed they were a worthy, renowned family in their day and generation, but alas, history has given us all too little of them. It is known that they were born hundreds of years ago, living bright and useful lives in the earlier stages of civilization. History speaks freely of one who may have been the great-great-grandfather of the present he's, much less is known of the she's, and while speaking of him forgets not to take his travelling artist along to sketch him. This noble ancestor is Mr. Zacchaeus he, and he is in the act of performing the feat that saves his name from utter oblivion. The deed is made doubly impressive by the travelling artist sketching the same. The poet, too, lends his sublime aid to render the act one never to be forgotten. In the present age of the world, many parents, from some deep-seated prejudice, strive to blot out this unpretending family entirely. But little children with tearful eyes bring the historian, the artist and the poet at once to the rescue, exclaiming, then why does the book say, Zacchaeus, he did climb the tree? Chin Fun, the Canton Boat Boy, by Thomas W. Knox How many readers of Harper's Young People are aware that in China, on the other side of the world, there are thousands and thousands of boys and girls that live in boats? There is a great city in China called Canton, and at this city there is a river which is so crowded with boats that it is not easy to get around among them. They are not large boats like the great steamers of American rivers, 
and they do not have comfortable rooms where you can sleep as well as in a bed on shore. Some of them are so small that they can only hold three or four persons, and there is no space for walking around. But these three or four must live there from day to day and from week to week, and if they ever go on shore at all, it is only for a few minutes at a time. A whole family will often be found living on a boat, which we would hardly think large enough to cross in from one side of the Hudson River to the other. They cook and eat and sleep on the boat, and they manage to earn a little money by carrying passages over the river or doing other work. The kitchen where they do their cooking is only a little heap of coals that a man might put in his hat, and it rests on a box of sand about a foot square. When there are passengers on board, they sit under an oaring in the front part of the boat, and the children are kept in a sort of well, like a dry goods box, near the stern, but at other times they can run or creep around the deck. The smaller children are secured by means of cords tied around their waists, so as to save them in case they fall overboard. Sometimes the cord that holds a baby is fastened to the side of the boat, and sometimes it is tied to a stick of wood that serves as a float to keep him from sinking. The latter mode is generally preferred, as the baby has more freedom and can drag himself along the deck where he likes. It is very common to see infants crawling around in this way, and it is surprising how soon they learn to keep out of danger. A Chinese child has only to fall overboard once or twice to make up his mind to keep away from the side of the boat as much as possible. One day a baby was creeping around the deck of one of these Canton boats, and wondering how he should amuse himself. He looked over the side, and as the sun was shining and reflecting his face in the water, he thought he discovered a new baby that would be a nice playmate for him. His mother was in the forward part of the ship and busy at the oars, and his father was working on a ship that lay in the harbour. So this baby, whose name was Chin Fan, was quite alone and could do as he pleased. He felt lonesome, and when he saw the strange child in the water, he smiled at him and wanted to make his acquaintance. The strange baby smiled in reply, and then Chin Fan held out his chubby little hand to lift him out of the water. Of course, the other one held up a hand to meet him, but he could not reach far enough. Then Chin Fan reached down, while the stranger reached up, and pretty soon Chin Fan lost his balance and tumbled into the water. Wasn't he in a dangerous place? His mother did not know what had happened, and she kept on rowing the boat right away from where the poor little fellow was struggling and trying to keep from being drowned. An American baby would have screamed and sunk. The Chinfan was not an American, and so he did nothing of the sort. He dropped all thoughts of the strange baby, and considered nobody but himself. He managed to get hold of the billet of wood to which his cord was fastened and by holding on firmly he kept his head out of the water. The current of the river carried him along, and very luckily it carried him to where a ship was anchored, with her great cable sloping down the stream. He struck against this cable, and as he did so he let go of the bullet, so that it went one side of the cable while Chin Fan went the other. Then he took hold of the cable with both his chubby hands, and next he screamed as loud as his little lungs would let him. The sailor on the bow of the ship heard the scream, and was not long in finding that it came from the cable. Chin Fan kept it up until he was rescued, and just about the time he was taken on board the ship, he was missed by his mother. 
She came paddling down the river in search of him, and shouted to everybody she met that her baby was missing. The sailor held little Chin Fan up so that she could see him, and in a very short time he was back in his place on the deck of the boat. For a good while after the incident, Chin Fan kept at a respectful distance from the side of the boat, and he did not show any desire to make the acquaintance of the strange babies in the water. His mother taught him how to swim, and he became a boatman at Canton, and afterward he was a sailor on one of the great steamers that ran between San Francisco and China. He did a great many brave things in and on the water, and his mother was very proud of him. She said she always knew he would be a famous sailor when he showed such good sense and coolness at the time of his first plunge. End of section 6